Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Shift, the podcast that aims to tell the no-holds-barred truth about being a woman post-40. Created and hosted by me, Writer and broadcaster, Sam Baker. Okay, I admit it, I'm a bit in awe because today's guest is someone I've wanted to get on the shift for the longest time. You might know Ruby Wax as a successful comedian and presenter, one of the funniest women of her generation. Or you might know her as a mental health campaigner and best-selling author. But one thing's for sure, Ruby has been using humour to make the rest of us feel better for decades. Ruby had a breakdown after losing her job on the BBC in her 50s. Hold that thought, we'll go back to that. Determined not to go down with the career ship, she took herself off to Oxford University, where she got a master's degree in mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, was subsequently awarded an OBE for services to mental health, and has written several best-selling books about our brains and hers. Then, last year, 12 years after her last bout of depression, she discovered she wasn't actually as well as she thought she was. Being Ruby, that was the inspiration for a new book and tour. And it tastes really delicious too, the adrenaline mm. kick. That's I'm very addicted to it. You know, nobody ever gets addicted to kale. <laughs> you get addicted to things that kill you. Ruby and I met in an office overlooking the Thames the day after a big birthday, which we will not be talking about, to discuss the journeys to find meaning, building a new emotional toolkit for the second half of your life, the secret to her 35-year marriage, and why we need to stop talking ageing and start talking evolving. I was thinking when I was reading the book, I wasn't planning to start on Ed, but is your marriage your like safe space? Is it your kind of like, if that's there everything's fine. Well, it's more complicated than that. Mm. We don't spend a lot of time together. And that's kind of the secret. Like, I don't think of myself as a couple. I wouldn't necessarily invite him to do what I'm doing. You know, Mm. like he finds out where I'm going by listening to me telling other people. I don't think of myself as being married. But I guess I am. But you know what I mean? I never did any of the precious stuff around it. And so it didn't get labeled. And there's no expectations. Yeah. No, I think that's really healthy. Not now, but for pre-lockdown for years, I lived separately from my husband during the week. But lockdown, you know, that was different. We were separate, a little bit together, but not on the same floor. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, where do we oh, start? Oh, what did you think of the book? Do you know what? I loved the book. It was a little bit close for comfort some places. Oh, right. Okay. Which place? But I loved it. Well, I've had EMDR since we're going to go there. Yeah. It was like a little bit like reliving it. And do you know what? Last night, I've been down here all week, but my husband was down last night. And he had to wake me up because I was having a shouting nightmare. And I blame you. I, blame I had a you. nightmare last night, too. <laughs> so, ditto. Yeah. What was your nightmare? Do you know what? I don't know. I don't remember. Mm. It's not the nightmare. This is like way too much information. <laughs> but it's not the nightmare I used to have before I had the EMDR. Right. Okay. I didn't dream at all. Do you dream? Yeah, all the time. But I forget. Because I didn't used to dream at all. So going to sleep was great because you just like plunge down into this dark place my favorite place oh, the best yeah but if i did dream i had this nightmare and then i had the emdr and now i dream all the time and i hate it oh I really it. yeah it's because sleep's it's, not restful anymore oh that's too bad but it's not the nightmare that you used to have no never have okay. that anymore well that's good that's that's worth the money did oh. your emdr work well, it did because I wasn't. I didn't realize I was locked in. Yeah, I had no idea that that was something weird. It sounds mad, doesn't it? When you're an only child, you think everybody lives like this. I didn't think anything was unusual. Will you start the book? Literally, the first line above the beginning of the first chapter is, "I spent a lifetime creating a front to give the illusion that all is well. It wasn't, and it isn't." When did you realize the front had become who you were? Well, you know, everything is in retrospect. Mm. If I knew I was doing it at the time, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But gradually, I don't remember when, but when you stop getting fed, you know, that infantilizing thing you get yeah. in show business. When that stops, you realize how addicted you were to it. And that's not the real, that's not who you were born as. And so I think probably around then, once I left TV, I started to realize, uh, yeah, there was a front. And of course, I, I don't blame myself because no. you got nervous, you know, in front of cameras. And so you create something because you couldn't show this. I was too scared to show people what, what was underneath it. And this takes years of doing shows. And in the second half, there's no script. And so I just talk to them and they just talk to me and tell me what we're talking about now. Except sometimes there's a thousand people and they don't mind being honest about themselves because they realize how good that feels. You don't have to be funny anymore. So the second half of my shows is the most heavenly for me do you still feel the pressure to be funny to like take the pressure off by cracking a gag if i'm paid i'd better be funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm not paying you. you can do anything you want i know i don't have to work it um no but no i don't feel the pressure of it at all i know that if i'm in a social thing you better talk and i hate it but i know we're supposed to be having this conversation now, and as long as i'm interested in you then i'll keep talking no pressure no pressure oh my uh, god <laughs> you can ask me questions if you want it's like a two-way thing mm -hmm. i mean it's one of the things i like about podcasts as opposed to when you do a newspaper interview you've probably been given the headline by the editor already and everything that you do is about basically delivering that headline back to the editor and one of the things i like about podcasts is my podcast I only talk to people I'm interested in and we just have a conversation. Mm. Do you know what? And I, when I was reading the book, I loved all the stuff about interviewing people because I'm always fascinated in the way you interview people. And when you were talking about how you got Jim Carrey to do pull his magic trick and kind of pull the tablecloth off with all the china Indoor and it all went everywhere. Yeah. I was just thinking, oh my God, what is Ruby's tablecloth trick? I don't have a tablecloth trick. No, no, he was talking about it, and I knew he couldn't do it. I mean, who can? 
where you pull the tablecloth, get the most expensive cutlery and silverware from the Dorchester. And so I just encouraged him. I can't encourage madness. And it happens <laughs> around me anyway. But he was exhausted because he'd been doing a junket all day and pretty pissed off. So I said, for the sake of my children, you know, so that they can eat again, would you please be funny? But he wouldn't have done it if I didn't throw him some balls. People always say, why do you talk so much? I say, because I have to give them foreplay. Otherwise, why would they work for me? Yeah, You can't just sit there and expect them to switch it on. You have to play and play and show them how much fun you are. And then they say, let's turn it from five minutes into a day. And sometimes I get a sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> Would you ever go back? No. Interviewing. No. What I took from the book, and I'm sure you'll tell me if that's wrong. Do you think that, you know, dabbling with TV again, is what brought on this breakdown. No, I, I could never figure it out. You know, people have breakdowns when they win Oscars, as mm. you know, or suicides happen when people are at the height of their career. Um, I will never know what happened. Maybe it was coming anyway, and I just happened to do these journeys. But I know one thing is I was planning the journeys too close to each other, where I should have consolidated. So you know, you don't go on a 30-day retreat and then do a commercial for potato chips. <laughs> 24 hours later, after you haven't spoken, and then go on a book tour. It, you just don't do it. And then a week later, I had planned something else. And I was doing it as if I was doing a study, you know, a, a dig, some anthropological dig, whereas these are kind of life-shaking experiences. And you've been trying to pack them all into three months. Yeah, get them right all in up. there. But also what happened was ending up in a mental clinic, and that was a surprise to me, meant that I could find out what was wrong. So that's when the therapist came in and she started, one is a journey down and one is a journey out. And uh, both of them are at odd ends with each other. In a way, your stay in the mental clinic kind of becomes the, is it fifth or sixth journey? Sixth, because you did four journeys and then you did the TV show. Yeah. And in a way... It's the sixth. Yeah, it's the sixth journey. It's a complicated thing, but it reminds me of, you know, those documentaries where uh, the jinx, where it's just on one level and then suddenly he goes into the bathroom and says I murdered that guy and suddenly the whole documentary spins on its head so I think that's what the book yeah. uh, does I wasn't looking for madness but suddenly out of out of looking for meaning and after this existential slap in the face during lockdown looking for something deeper and then finding out I couldn't deal with it I couldn't be deep because I was so shallow packing all of those four trips but it would have been five yeah if ed hadn't got ill into that space of time is that a ruby thing i've got to be really busy and i've got to be moving the whole time and just pack it all yeah. in i mean considering i do mindfulness every day i don't think i i think i can do everything i don't know where exhaustion kicks in i'm starting to get it now these days so i came back from japan a little while ago and that was a treat to myself so i understand when i have to throw myself a a cookie um but i don't know what pressure is because i put myself under it all the time and it tastes really delicious too the adrenaline mm. kick That's i'm very addicted to it you know nobody ever gets addicted to kale <laughs> you get addicted to things that kill you yeah, i was thinking i really over identified with that you know I've got to be busy and I've got to do the thing and I've got to just keep going. But there's an interesting side of you because that 30-day retreat, the silent retreat, which sounded terrifying and amazing, you kind of loved that, didn't I you? I loved it. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't love it the first four days because it's you go out of your mind listening to your thoughts and having nothing to distract you. You could flip. But then after that, it starts to become more and more peaceful and eventually I became adorable and had moments of like such heaven of, uh, we were saying, of tasting the food and the granola was orgasmic. It was the most delicious Granola thing. and orgasmic has never been in the same no, sentence ever imagine before. this with your eyes, like in a prayer position, because you didn't have to say to the person next to you, what do you do for a living? You could just taste it and you could just hear things clearly and you could, you were just present. And that was unbelievable. Not all the time, it comes and goes, but by the 30th day, I was really interesting. How was it being, just being in your own head? all that time terrible terrifying it's like um, arm wrestling eventually one arm goes down and that's your mind and you won because you've disciplined it then you go back to real life and screw it up again but you went right back to real life like 24 hours 24 hours yeah and the phone I was really interested in that the phone thing because it felt like almost the minute you turned it on I All lost of that it. work went. Yeah, in a way. Well, when I said yes because it was a lucrative ad, I had already destroyed it. I sold my soul to the devil. It but, you know, matter. money's money. But I shouldn't have done that. But you can't say that makes somebody depressed. That would just make you tired. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay, big deal, get over yourself. So, again, none of this was the cause was of a, a depression. Maybe it it was, or maybe I would be having a holiday and it would happen. That's Mm. the thing about depression. It isn't situation dependent. No, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? Even now we're allowed to talk about mental health. There's still a sense that you, what have you got to be depressed about? Yeah, but it's one in four. So there will be somebody in a refugee camp, but there'll be somebody in Beverly Hills. So it's at random. Even I know that now. Even you know that. Even I. You know loads about it. But even, you know, the the shame is gone of having it. When did the shame go? Oh, when I started studying what the mind So back when you went went to to Oxford and did that. Then I started to see, oh, I see. It's completely, it's a disease. It's like Alzheimer's. And you wouldn't say to somebody with Alzheimer's, come on, get up and find your car or the keys. So don't be so cruel because I have another disease. Yeah, and I think it's better. Yeah, sure, because the word depression is so ridiculous. Mm. Like you're depressed. You're not depressed. You're sick. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whiteout. Yeah, and you can't function. It's not like... You can't function. Oh, I'm a bit tired. I'm going to stay in bed. Yeah, or work is getting tough. So when you had the previous big depression, so when you lost your... BBC job Mm -hmm. you make a kind of a slightly like is it a joke is it not a joke in the book about like I hit 50 and like the BBC rule kicked in do you think that was the case no well people used to complain about it before Mm. when I was younger but you ignore that yeah totally yeah not my problem it'll never happen to you and then suddenly you know a man comes in and takes your job and you're lied to And now you have no safety net. It's really appalling. But I'm so grateful that I did lose my job Mm. because then I could reinvent. And by this stage in life, I don't want to just say, yeah, it was really funny. I think you need more dignity. 
Yeah. Somebody else would go, oh, I was really funny. End of story. Because you had built, and tell me if this is just bollocks, because I know that I'm putting myself, my own experience on this a bit. You had built Ruby. You kind of created Ruby. Uh-huh. From the ashes of your childhood, really, didn't you? <laughs> That's a beautiful I can't think of a word. better way to put it. That's well, it literally right. was ashes, wasn't mm. it, in the end? Mm. In fact, I read the bit where you put all your parents' stuff in a bag and then burn it, and then it's sold and the house is literally raised to the ground. But you created Ruby. How did you do that? Because they were all about, like, bringing you down. I think you do it despite them. You know, so you build it brick by brick, but underneath you're still the loser that they thought you were. But just to fuck with them, uh, I created this thing that could take them on. And it was always war. It was always war. Even in the RSC, he'd say, it was still ruby wax. Come on. you." He said, your teeth were so shiny. I, what kind of criticism? It kept coming. He couldn't find anything else. The guy was desperate to find flaws. Did either of them ever... No. Say they were proud? Well, they'd sort of say it, but kind of not really. There'd be a whopper coming after that word. Yeah, but... Yeah. They're laughing at you, not with you, was the one that was constant. Stop mocking your parents. This isn't funny. Oh, I'm sorry, it was. Well, you know, they were trying to take it away, and Alan Rickman was trying to build it up. And they'd have to take him on, which they did. He could handle that. Well, he'd say, Miss Works, she's very talented. And go, come on, she's a kook. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It all ended happily. Yes. Fucked up but happy. (laughs) That's a good title for a book. But you would build, that's the next one. That's the next one. So you'd built Ruby up and you'd done those amazing interviews on the BBC and you lost the job. Did your identity go out the window at that point? Because I know that for me, I was a magazine editor and when that stopped, I just didn't even know who I was anymore. Mm. Was See, that the case for you? Well, I think I ended up in a mental hospital, yeah. Mm. But before I went in the mental hospital, I was already at school studying to be a therapist. I was never going to be one, but I just needed an occupation and I could switch in a minute. You know, got my books, I went to school, I had lunches with all my new girlfriends, and I became a student really quickly. Then I broke. Now, again, did it happen because of the job, or was it just time for the depression? I'll never know, because I've had depression when I've been really happy. You know, I was having a baby, you know, it was my third one, and I end up in an institution again. Really? Yeah. Way back. So tell me about that. You have it when you're really happy, too. Yeah, it's not. It's indiscriminate. So when you were writing the book, at what point did you... Well, I suppose the book, it just changed itself, didn't it? It changed itself. It changed itself. Because I had all these journeys I was going on, and I'd write them down. It was kind of Adrian Gillish. You know, they were Mm. funny. But, like, it was just... It would be a pretty shallow book. And then something happened. That's And it was really late in the day that it happened. And then somebody said, that's a really interesting book to write from a mental institution. Did you pull any punches? Did you feel like it's too expensive? I mean, you were always honest, but yeah. is there anywhere you wouldn't want to go in that process? Well, as long as it was funny, too. If it was real wank job, which um, 
might come out, you know, unless I do some editing, then it's every book that I'm sent every day of how much torture there is and how suffering. And you want to go, sweetheart, you need some talent or comedy or something to, to genuinely make this interesting. Even Matt Haig or This Is Gonna Hurt. If you wrote it straight, it's what is it's a wine. It's a wine. Yeah, you don't read I mean, I inhaled it. And you don't inhale a book that is just like it's gonna just make you wanna kill yeah. you. Yeah, just yeah. I mean look at one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That's a masterpiece because it's so funny. Yeah. yeah. I was really interested in what you said about trauma though, that when um, the therapist said to you that you had unresolved trauma. You thought, I don't, I haven't been to Afghanistan. Yeah, it's an Oprah word. Yeah. Trauma is a very word du jour these days, so I didn't want to have that. You so do, though. Well, I know, but I didn't know when it started. But I still feel embarrassed saying I have trauma. I'm quite proud of depression, but trauma is, I find it tricky. When you had the EMDR, and just at any point, just to say, fuck off, Sam, I'm not answering that. Was the EMDR revealing things that you didn't know? I still don't understand how it works. I mean, I've studied neuroscience. I don't know. You know, there is no left side, right side. We know it's much more complex. I mean, there is two sides. But one isn't in charge of this and one is in charge of that. So I never studied it. I don't know how it works and the cord is out. So I always rolled my eyes at it. But I've had therapy before that for a long time and it never hit that. So who am I to say? Never hit those levels. Yeah. I mean, it made a difference to me, but like, who knows why? Who knows why? Maybe it was just a better shrink. Yeah. Were you following the ball going back and forth? I did it in person and we did it with those paddles. Oh, I didn't know about that. They're kind of like little electrical paddles and you close your eyes and you follow the... Really? Yeah. What, it gives you a shock? No, no, but it buzzes from side to side. So it's kind of the equivalent of watching the ball. In your hand? In your hand. Yeah, because you're teasing your brain. And then you close your eyes and then you base your eyes still... Interesting. But why would that be? I thought it was a right old load of bollocks. I I still do, but some... People talk about it. So who am I to say? You're probably more qualified to say than... No, I'm not. I mean, we just have a very basic idea of how your mind works. It's like the foothills. So who knows about why that would work. You're still studying? I was studying when I was writing the other books. Mm. So I'm not studying now. But I'd like to again. I'm really interested in the reinvention aspect of book and of you do you think you use reinvention a bit as part of the kind of busy 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 it could be but again we don't know it could be because you're getting more and more interesting because some people decide to stick the way they were when they were 30 and it becomes a tragedy so I think you have to adjust and I was dragging my heels because I didn't want to be this age and I don't want to act like I am this age so the end of the book is kind of alarming where you say you have to let go of the ropes you can't keep swimming against the tide and it doesn't mean like that I go oh I'm too scared to go down the stairs you know I would take up parachuting I don't have any physical pain and I just came back from Japan where we hiked through the Nintendo Valley now I'm not a hiker but I thought do not you know say I can't do this 
So reinvention doesn't mean letting go, literally. It just means keeping your eyes open for what's coming. Are you still quite driven by the, don't say I can't do this? You know, that I can climb a 15,000 foot mountain. Sort of, but I knew that Madagascar thing. Nobody thought I could do that. And they were all taking bets on how many days I'd last. Hmm, Bastards. I know. And of course I stayed. But I wasn't doing it because I was on TV or the money was good because it wasn't. What was interesting is what happens to your mind when you're stuck in nature and it's a disaster. And where's the pleasure and where's the pain? I just find all of that. I still do find it interesting. And that makes you stretch. But I'm not doing stupid things. You know, like on that island, I was eating because I said I'm on medication. I'm not giving up my health for this. There's a quote at the beginning of chapter four. You cannot walk the second half of life's journey with the first half's tools. You can't do it. I really, I really love that. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's a quote, isn't it, from a book that you were reading? That happened to be, again, it happened to be. Everything's, what is that word? Serendipitous. Mm. I thought it was poignant. I never thought of that before. You know, the point of being young in 20s and 30s is to grow the ego, is to really find, you know, a self, even though there isn't any, an image, a mask, to push it, to put your foot on the turbo, to make it, all that status stuff is there for a reason. And then in the second half, you dissemble it and you see what's under it. I never thought of it that way, Mm -hmm. but it's liberating because you'd be exhausted by now if I still had to do that character. I know people that do it and it's grotesque. Mm. You know, they're still like playing with their 30 and now they've got wrinkles and it's really ugly. It's like people taking Coke at 50. You know how it just doesn't work. So I really thought that quote was great. Unpicking it is the relief. I'm still not there, but I, Mm. I thought it was interesting. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. He was really good, those quotes that he had, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's so... Do you know him? Interesting. No, I'd never heard of him before, but I read that and I just thought, oh my God, that's exactly it. Because so many people I talk to for the podcast, without having any of the level of insight that you've got of yourself, have been through something in their 50s or 60s or late 40s, just depending. And they might tie it to menopause or redundancy or divorce, but there's always a really big upheaval 
whether professionally or personally. There has to be because you're now seeing there's a downhill slope. That's not very cheerful way. Well, of you're going at it. toward death. I mean, you know, I don't really believe it. Like, I think you're going to die, but not me. <laughs> but, Thanks, um, Ruby. Sorry, <laughs> but it's not going to happen to me because we have that as a safety net. If we mm. really believed it, you wouldn't be able to take a foot forward. No. You know, that's why I go to Japan, and it, now I'm just doing what I want to do. And it isn't a negative feeling. It's a great good. I can let go now. I don't have to do anything for anybody else. What's in your new toolkit to do everything I want and not feel bad about it how are you doing with that because you say I went to Japan I don't care you know I'm doing what I want to do I never went on a lot of holidays because I was so ambitious I thought somebody'd step in my place and Mm -hmm. I never stopped you know I was burning but you have the energy when you're young and that's the time to do it and to create the mask you know there is an ego that you're building and then later on you realize there's there's no ego. You're a thousand possibilities. I mean, it's it's infinite universes that are possible. But we lionize youth so much, don't we? And, and aging is so, like, we don't want to talk about it. Don't think I'm it's not talking about you. when women go, I can't get up the stairs anymore. <laughs> it's as boring as when people say, look, I just had a baby and talk about them. You know, those stages are really bo- There's nothing to examine. Let's take out the word aging, take out evolving, put in evolving without being precious about it. That's more interesting. And you can do it at 30. I mean, I know 30-year-olds who are as heavyweight as you can get, and then old people know nothing. Yeah, They're just on repeat. They're sitting in the same old chairs. They're going to the same old things. They love their, you know, cup of tea at 5 o'clock, and their friends come over, and they watch telly. Come on, that happens at 80. My favorite expression is, at a certain age, uh, you either turn into wine or vinegar. Yes. That's my favorite. Yeah, it's like the brilliant, you're wearing a Carrie Fisher t-shirt. I love I Carrie never, Fisher. I know. I, I found it in my closet. I've never worn it before. That's serendipity. I love her so much. Postcards from the Edge is one of my favorite books. Is there a flying saucer? Oh. Wow. That is weird. That's spooky. Let's leave it on. No, let's leave it on yeah. and we'll just play it. And we'll say we were, were abducted yeah. by a UFO. Sorry, that's it. We're finished and now. That's, that's, that's how, how it ended. ended. And sure. the Carrie Fisher quote about resentment being like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. She didn't say that. Buddha didn't she? said that. Who said that? It was Buddha. That's a Buddha. Oh, was thing. it? Yeah. Oh, and, she, and she now we have the Carrie Fisher quote. She would never admit that. <laughs> But it's also the second arrow. You send in out the first, you feel hate or whatever, and then you send in the second, which is shame that you felt the hater. So there's all those quotes. Yeah, putting yeah. out, feeding the but poison so you feel it, but you poison yourself. It's yeah. Buddhist. And the comment you just made about wine and vinegar, it's exactly that, isn't it? And it's the thing when you're writing about the 30-day retreat, which, as you can tell, was my favorite of your journeys, where you're talking about what, aging is and like the loss of curiosity and that kind of assumption that what you think is right how you live is right and Mm. that's what makes you that's what makes you old and you can be like that at 30 yeah oh they get married and every here's their kids and then they have a really nice that's death that's old age at 30 and you could probably see it in a 
fMRI scanner, that someday you'll see that their neurons are yeah, quite bits stuck. Of the brain. Yeah, you'll see there's not a lot of synapses. Whereas yeah. when you try different things, they grow like trees, and you're more vibrant. Are you still as obsessed with being the best and being? No, now I'm terrified and... that my book is not going to. No, I'm scared. Yeah. Are you really? Yeah. What if it flops? It's It'll not going to flop. Might flop. It's not going to flop, Ruby. All right, I'm going to call you and hunt you down. <laughs> You're going to hear it from me, madam. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think, because you're quite evolved, shall we say, for want of a better way of saying it, do you feel like, are you better at, like... I don't really feel that, but You okay. don't feel evolved. No. From outside. Okay, good. You seem evolved. Good, I got an evolved hairdo. Yeah, you've got a very evolved hairdo. <laughs> so do you. Yeah. Will you ever go grey? I don't know. I think you'd look crazy with grey hair. In a good way, crazy. I don't know. But it would be so wonderful to not have to dye your hair endlessly because it grows so fast. Yeah, I mean, I've never dyed mine. When I started going grey and I still have my hair done a bit more regularly than I do now, I went to the guy who did it and I said, look, I'm thinking I might need to start dying and he literally just burst out laughing and walked off because he was like you can barely get your ass in this chair to have your hair cut once every three months how the hell are you gonna, are you gonna sit through that but yours is good because we've gone really shallow now yeah sorry that's good where do you get your nails fine. done yeah um, i don't i don't yourself. either look yeah. my toenails are revolting <laughs> yeah. but yeah. you have the kind of florida blonde and sort of you know, it's mixed in there, so you're not quite sure. Is it your imagination that there's white, or is that really blonde? Yeah. No. So you're all right. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You can do that. Now, I want to go back to the second half thing, because I think it's really interesting. How are you building a bigger container? Should we read that quote so people know what we're talking about? It's Richard, Richard Rohr. Rohr. You cannot walk the second half of life's journey with the first half's tools. You need a new toolkit. But he also talks about how you need to build a bigger container, doesn't he? Yeah to be able to hold all the emotions rather than, but this is very mindfulness based, mm. is that rather than them overpowering you, suddenly in Wash's rage, then some envy comes in and people go, I don't know why that's happening. That's how I am. This thing of a bigger container is, these are just weather conditions that blow in and out. So my rage isn't really directed to you. It just happened to be a hormone that switched on and then there's anger. And so you can hold that rather than flinging it out and blaming you for why I feel so frustrated. That's your artillery. But it's not necessarily defining who you are. And so it's, um, I think that's what he means by a bigger container, is you keep it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> because it's just going, it's the weather conditions inside. It's not reality. Have you learned to care less about all that external shit? Well, I still dye my hair, so you answer that. <laughs> It's true. That's true. Um, your daughters do funny, don't they? Uh-huh. How does that feel? Well, they're not desperate like I am or was. Because they didn't have your rebellion. parents. They didn't have my parents, so they're not on fire. But they do characters like French and Saunders, and both of them had really great parents. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they're doing accuracy. They know how to do characters. That's different than standing up and creating a front. Like Jennifer is just Jennifer, 
who's kind of likes to muck out horse manure. And, you know, she's just a normal girl. She just has a talent, as does Dawn, to imitate. So they have that too. They imitate really well with comedy in every fiber. Do you think you're putting yourself down a bit? No, I can't do characters. I became the character. There's no question. Now I can do some characters, but never as good as them. Say the BBC phoned you up on Netflix. They do. I mean, they do call and offer stuff. And you never Netflix say yes. Doesn't. And I haven't said yes yet. Would you like to bring back Ruby Wax Meats? No, because who would I interview? I had days with people. Harry Styles. You don't, think with Harry Styles. you don't think there'd be a PR standing by and saying you've got three more minutes? Not usually. <laughs> yeah, but they Proper. won't do it anymore. No, that's a nightmare. Isn't they it? won't do it. You'd have to be Graham Norton and sit at a table and either be funny or something. I never had to. There were no rules. I could go as long as I wanted. Yeah, in the kind of glory days. Do you remember like magazines like Details who used to, you know, spend a week, literally spend a week with Madonna? Yeah. Yeah. That's like... That was my pleasure. That's the gold. That's the gold. And because you get all sides of their personality. I always said, show me the heavy stuff and show me the light. And they do, unless they're just comedians and they want to be funny. I'm not going to stop them. Tell me a bit more about mindfulness because I am a bit of a mindfulness refuse, Nick. Because how did you learn to stop your brain? You don't. See, that's be, a mistake. That's the mistake. That's the mistake. Is that I like the science of it. That's why I did Oxford. Is that it's just like learning piano or learning how to do sit-ups. Is that you're strengthening certain areas of the brain so that you do have more focus. I mean, if you can see that in a scanner, there's now millions of research papers you do have more focus and you pay more attention. There's an ACC in your brain. It strengthens, you get more neurons in that area, just the way you learn piano. So that you're able, not 100%, you know, you can't always play Rachmaninoff, but you can be more aware of what's going on. That's why this book is kind of weird, is that depression snuck up on me. I'll always have depression. If you have more than three episodes, chances are you've got it for life, but I should have known it was coming because I haven't had it for 12 years. I can feel the tip when it tiptoes on me, and then I'll shut off everything and go somewhere because I know my temperature is going toward my tipping point. This time I didn't spot it. So I'm not going to get angry at myself. It just happened. And maybe I got a book out of it. Um, Definitely you got a book out of but it. But mindfulness is an exercise uh, that you do just the way you would want a six-pack. You don't How? shut off your thoughts. How would you do it? Well, I can't explain it now. But how do you get a six-pack? You lie on the floor and you get up. You lie on the floor and get up. So with mindfulness, you're almost using two muscles. But I'd have to go into physiology, and that gets a little complicated. But it is yeah. an exercise. It isn't, for me, I'm not a Buddhist, and it isn't some, you know, sitting on a gluten-free cushion with your eyes rolled back. It's <laughs> something that really benefits for somebody who wants to be focused and be able to pull down their anger. And I have to say, I've got a handle on that anger. I was going to say, how is your anger? It's better? really diminished. I mean, I can feel it inside because i got a flick switch. 
but um, I, I can disperse it pretty quickly. Or if I let it out at somebody, I'll know to apologize pretty quickly because it really wasn't their fault. But if somebody mugged me, I could pull a knife. See what I mean? You don't mm. lose your animalistic or your fight and flight. You need that. But a lot of times it's inappropriate and you'll just get poisoned by it. Because I used to really feed it. Not only did you give somebody your anger, but then you call every friend you've got to reenact it so you can mm -hmm. get more juice. And there's Carrie Fisher's. You're poisoning yourself. Expression. That's so true, isn't it? Because when you said that, I immediately thought, that's what I do. It's not the thing. It's the reliving the it's thing. It's the reliving. It's a second era. Do you practice Buddhism as well? No. I know a little you know. bit about it but I can't remember the words. There's just too many vowels and <laughs> it just ends with it just babbling for me. But I got the idea and Jung used a lot of Buddhism. So it's not such a precious thing that was very practical. It was a philosophy. It wasn't a religion. And what he said was true, but so did Marcus Aurelius. And I wouldn't say I'm a follower of that <laughs> or Carrie Fisher. You could believe in her. I could believe in her. I could believe in her too. Did you mention I had her T-shirt on? I did, okay. and I will mention it. And I'm quite jealous, actually. I she gave say. it to me. That's it's, what's so good about brilliant. it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Because I was looking for your interview with her on YouTube, and I couldn't find it, but there is an interview you did with her in LA. Oh, I did one in England when I first met her. That was yeah. my wooing. Mm. Of all the people that I would have loved to have met, I think that's the person I'm most jealous of. Carrie. Carrie. I should be jealous. <laughs> and I love that you don't even pretend. Like, no, you should, no, it's not all that. No, it's that good. <laughs> <laughs> She's properly great. So towards the end of the book, you say that you wanted to meet a wise woman. What would someone have to be to qualify as a wise woman? Well, Elena Bottom Carter, mm -hmm. Helena's mother, is a wise woman. She is. She just makes me stop in my tracks. And she's over her fear of death. And there's no question she is. And so I, I think that's a wise woman. Can you imagine getting there yourself? No, no. She's really free. Where do you think that freedom came from? She's got insight, you know, and that's God-given. She's got real insight. She was my shrink. So, you know, she's steps ahead. Can you see yourself embracing your crone years? No. No, I can't. And I don't want to, really. I don't see myself as a sex or an age or religion. I don't stand for it. I don't feel it. Several times it comes up in the book about fleeing and moving and not being comfortable in your own home once yeah. the kids had left. Have you managed no, to... No, I, I still, still flee. flee. Yeah, I still flee. And I will continue fleeing. I just don't like being in my home. But I don't feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not homey. You know, why would I be? I came from fleers. We don't build homes. But you have a home and you've had a home for a long time. Yeah. But, I, you know, if it, if it left tomorrow and I'm thinking of leaving it, I, I, I haven't got a sentimental thing. I almost want to dump everything I've got and live with my suitcase. You know, I don't like getting dressed up. 
I only like wearing one thing for a long time. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah. It's like when you see people on Instagram posting outfits of the day and all that rubbish, I just think, but my outfit of today is the same as my outfit of yesterday. yesterday is the same. And they really crap the outfits. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, really love that the most. I made a conscious decision to do the bloke thing, you know, of like, actually, I just want to wear. I have one outfit. This, this is not my outfit. I have wear you dressed jeans. up specially for me? No, because I'm doing a thing tomorrow and I thought I was leaving from here. Oh, I dressed up for that. <laughs> Sam. Yeah. I it was for me. Maybe I did a little for you. <laughs> the socks are for you. <laughs> the socks are good. Socks are good. The socks are good. There's a point in the book when you lose your TV job and you say you felt invisible again, like before your career took off. Mm. How do you feel now? I mean, I just came back from Japan. I feel really good. I made friends with my group. You know, we were hmm. put together and I became best friends with them. And I like when I suddenly have a whole new existence. I mean, they just didn't identify with anything I'd done in the past. And, um, and I love when that happens because everything's possible. They don't peg me. I mean, one guy knew I was a comedian, but that quickly passed. And I was probably funnier than I am on television because I was so happy. But in terms of, of visibility in the world? I've never been visible in America or Europe, and nobody looks at me anyway. Do you think of yourself as a comedian now? No, I know I can write comedy, but I'm not, a, I'm not anything. I'm really curious. That's what I am. And then that is why you're quite ageless, because you're curious. Mm, that could be. I think. Cool. Okay, I am going to ask you the questions. I, I love your jewellery. Oh, thank Where's you. Where's that necklace from? Do you know what? That one is from John Lewis. No. Yeah, it was like bargain basement. But actually, Jigsaw. Did you put the ring on it? No, that's how it came. And then that one is... Oh, it's a different thing. Porte. Yeah. But Jigsaw... And that's expensive. I've got... I think it was about 100 quid. Honestly, go to Jigsaw because they've got a couple of necklaces really like this right now. They have now to be both about, of them. Yeah. They have both of them. Do you want... When we're finished, I'll we'll get the phone online. out and I'll show you online. All right. Because that's really good. Thank you. Yeah. You can emulate that. I will copy Jigsaw. you. I that's will all right. copy that. That's okay. good. I'm flattered. I'm still going to ask you the questions I always sure, ask okay. at the end. What's your emotional age? 35. 35? Yeah. And why is that? Was that a great time, was it? My kids were babies, I think. And so that was a great time, you know, because I, I knew I was going to have three of them so that they wouldn't be only children, which is to me torment. Did you plan that? Yeah, right. I said I'm going to have a few. So the witnesses to any madness that they see. That's true. So they're a unit. Yeah. Um, and they laugh at me. They laugh at my madness. Whereas if it was just one, they'd be frightened. <laughs> Part of the problem is I don't know what was my imagination. Because my parents said it's your imagination. So I don't Gaslit know. you, basically. Gaslit, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to digressing a bit. Do you still not know or do you trust your own mind? Now, now I do, childhood. but when I get sick, 
yeah, I think so. I'm not sure. No, I can't say 100%. I might have made some stuff up, but I don't know what. I love Ed it. says they're as bad as I thought. And Ed's a really nice guy. He said they were terrible. I mean, I only know about your parents what I've read in your books. I'm sorry, <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you got material. Yeah. You're fucked up, but you got material. It's the way to look at it, I guess. Can you give us a book recommendation? So it could be a book that has been like, really significant to you over the years, or it could just be a good book you read lately. A Fine Balance is my favorite book. Rohinder Mystery. Yeah. What's it about? I don't that? know. I can't remember. But um, <laughs> the characters, you know, it's very Altman-esque how they weave in and out and everybody's interesting but you know what's happening now I read books but I don't remember what they're like so I can reread them I'm reading Animal now mm. and I'm loving it but I know I read it again yeah. <laughs> it is kind of awful when you start reading a book and you get a, about a third of the way through and you think oh, I have read this before yeah yeah I know but my favorite book of all is the is it the setup by um, Paul Beatty who won the Booker? Oh yes! Oh, that's the greatest book. That's oh, Philip Roth that. on Ice. Yeah, you know, it's I've never read hilarious any of and and intellectual at the same time. Um, what advice would you give younger women? Not to act like women, just to be themselves. <laughs> Good advice. Good advice. I just made that up. <laughs> Would that advice have made a difference to you? I never acted like a woman. I mean, whatever your image is. Um, I never flirted. I scared men. You know, I was fucked up. But um, I think if you uh, are play acting, you're going to pay the bill at some point. You know, you're playing femininity. If you're a natural, fine. But if you're playing it, you're going to get screwed later. I've never played it because I've never had it. I haven't had it either. Like that? Yeah. Maybe I'd like it. You would like it? Uh, maybe. Who knows? Like, I'd like getting underpants and all that kind of stuff. I was never girly. No. Was that a reaction to your mum? No, she was quite girly. Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Was it like a... I don't think so. You can't say that. The next kid would have been exactly the opposite. Um, what's your superpower? I don't know what that means. You don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I don't know what mine is. I think your jewellery, and we have to... We have to Google it. We're going to do that and I right need now. to buy it pretty quickly. Okay, we're going to do that. I'm just going to ask you my last question. How many fucks do you give? I don't really. Give any? I don't really care. Don't care? Unless it's right in front of me. And then I'll do whatever it takes. But I think you have to take care of your mental health first before you can touch the environment or touch politics. You really have to have some insight. Otherwise, you're polluting everything. So I care about mental health. And then I think, well, then let the next thing take care of itself. Rather than sitting around babbling at a dinner party, just do it. I think that's actually a really good bit of advice as well. Mm. 
And so I'm meaning like post midlife or whatever you want to call it. Now is the time to stop babbling about it. Yeah, just do it. If you care so much. Okay, thank you. Now Now we're online. You'll give me the link. I love your jewelry. Thank you for listening. You can hear a new episode of The Shift each Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please do rate, review and follow because it really does help other people find us. And if you'd like to support The Shift further, please consider becoming a member of our community. Find out more at steady.media forward slash The Shift.